This is Carol Steves, and you're listening to Reality Ranch Podcast. Welcome to the 19th episode of Reality Ranch Podcast. Today is Saturday, September 12th, 2020. If this is your first listen to my show, I share the writings of Billy Meyer and Figu, Free Interest Group Universal. I share interviews and discussions with various people involved in what has been named the Silent Revolution of Truth and is an effort through the teaching and the player and contact notes to free humanity from the overly materialistic thinking, ignorance, and violence largely brought about by religion and religious thinking. Before my interview, I would like to read a couple of things from the teaching. First, I have a continuation of my reading of the English translation of the 77 meditations taken from meditation from clear visibility and highest meditation. This booklet can be purchased on the Figu Canada website. This is meditation number three. The creational natural power is within myself and I use this actualizingly in my thinking and acting. My next reading is from a translation from the Creational Truth website, Things Worth Knowing by Billy Meyer. Reminiscence, Incarnation, Memory. A reminiscence, incarnation, memory lies in the realms of the possibility for every human being This possibility is even established in the laws of becoming and passing and therewith in the evolution itself. Time and time again, there have been human beings that are currently, and there will be evermore, who, inspiration of the subconsciousness-wise, have already encountered previous existences in their lives or continuously therein encounter. Thus it may be that they stroll somewhere to suddenly realize I was never in my life in this area, but I still recognize myself very precisely from here. Hills, old buildings or ruins, even trees, etc. are well known to me. Or it occurs to someone, it occurs that someone encounters a human being that he or she with absolute certainty in this has never even seen before in his or her life, of whom he or she, however, they say must, that he or she as attrusted to him as his or her own mother, and that he or she perhaps perceives even more in a fine fluidal wise for this human being than for one's own parents, etc., and so forth. Often it also happens that human beings thus meet one another and itself thus appears as if they already would recognize since countless thousands of years that they even love each other like siblings, like old good friends, uncles, aunts, and acquaintances, etc., although they very precisely know that these people in their present life with absolute certainty have never even seen and also have never even heard something of them. Or it may be that a human being goes into a far-off country, comes to a hill or mountain, and suddenly knows entirely what is found behind the same 
e.g. a building, which however also already is broken down to ruin, which however in fact attests to the existence of a building previously standing there, and proves the inspiration of the subconscious of the human being as rightness. Maybe, however, an age-old tree stands behind a hill of which the inspiration of the subconsciousness suddenly becomes conscious of without he or she would never have seen this tree previously in his or her present life. Or it may be described how behind a mountain a river entirely distinctly runs without that the describing person was ever there before although it can be described as an inspiration of the subconsciousness based. And precisely that is the inspirations of the subconsciousness based and the reminiscences of previous lives stepping into appearance, which can even be so very precisely formed that with an absolute certainty, the smallest details can be mentioned. To such reminiscences, are still those to mention that step into appearance through dreams, whereby these equally will be set free through an unconscious through the unconscious into the material consciousness realm like the previously described form. With reminiscences that reach into the material consciousness through dreams, the triggering difference steps into light. That this therein based on that these reminiscences step into appearance through unconscious work processes while in the waking states these arise through observation and through the comprehension of noises and sounds. It is important in these regarding reminiscences, incarnation, memories, very great precaution is appropriate because only too easily the human being is subject to delusions of this form or else he or she maneuvers him or herself therein to obsessions, which to him or her makes possible the seeing and the recognition of objects, landscapes, forms, and human beings after he or she then is able to describe many things that he or she has never seen before. This danger as a rule runs in human beings who indulge themselves foolishly in religious delusion belief oriented mystical and occult things and circles through which they forfeit all reality regarding this in very great amount the religion parapsychology is guilty of such mismanagements because through them everything is mystified and pressed into things of the belief and the supernatural and the unreal For that reason, unfortunately, also very many human beings are already influenced in this form, who establish reminiscence claims that never stand up to a precise examination. Thus, the most extreme caution is required regarding this, and regarding this, belief is not supposed to be bestowed to the human being. When he or she speaks of experienced reminiscences, when this human being exhibits a religious or parapsychological tendency, belief, when one may thereto use this word, can truly only therein be given this connection and in the regard to the reminiscences when such memories or inspirations of the subconsciousness of the surrendering human being are completely free from religious 
or parapsychological or similar influences. A further fact of caution is that delusions can occur in the form that someone once, perhaps entirely unconsciously, has seen a picture or a photo of an area, of a human being, of a landscape or a building, etc., or that he or she passed a human being or otherwise once sometimes saw him or her without even the slightest consciously registering, while the subconscious, however, made a complete or partial registration. Thus it occurred, then, through a precise encounter, that suddenly the subconsciousness sets its knowledge free into the material consciousness realm, which then erroneously is also interpreted as a reminiscence of a previous life. Although this acts itself only around a normal memory of the subconsciousness from the present life, which goes back perhaps 20 or 30 or even maybe 50 or 70 years, suddenly, thus, something once seen years or decades ago rises before the eyes in reality, whereby then an inspiration of the subconsciousness rises so high in the human being that he or she, this or that, one must have already seen once, which indeed then was also in fact the case, which however no more currently is or never was to the human being because it had hidden itself away in the subconsciousness and from which it then distinctly and without actual memory through corresponding impulses again clears itself. Now, however, the so-called law-based reminiscences still exist in the waking state, which are based thereon, that will achieve results through certain trains of thought, connected form, set the reminiscences free. These tread into appearance without that audible or visible effects come to light. The pure evolutive trains of thought and their form and the therefrom resulting results lead thereto that the subconscious sets free reminiscences and transfers these into the material consciousness. In conclusion, now still the so-called hypnotic reminiscences is now to be mentioned, which certainly is only of conditional rightness. This for this reason, because under hypnosis, in the conventional sense, absolutely no reminiscences or previous lives can be drawn from a human being, because there too, namely, different hypnotic processes are required than those nowadays practiced. The human being has safeguards built into his or her material realm, like his or her spiritual realm, which prevent the goods of knowledge and the reminiscences, etc., from reaching into the material consciousness until the human being is actually, in fact, able to bear and work out this knowledge. Among other things, in the material realm, the sensor is to be mentioned, the safeguard piece between the large consciousness and the small consciousness, consciousness and subconsciousness, which prevents that arbitrary acts can occur. And this sensor can also not be set out of function, disabled, through a simple hypnosis, because to do out of function setting, disabling, it requires a great deal more. This sensor now, this safeguard piece, immediately, briefly closes as soon as goods of knowledge 
want to be retrieved from the subconsciousness that is still not conducive for working out in the material consciousness. Equally, the sensor, equally it, the sensor, however, also immediately briefly closes when the still unworked out things, dangerous goods, are supposed to be transferred from the material consciousness into the material subconsciousness. When thus now a hypnotist comes and wants to bring a human being under hypnosis and to bring out reminiscences, then this safeguard factor briefly switches and refuses any passage of personal data from the subconscious. However, then the very interesting phenomena steps into appearance that the subconscious taps into the subconscious of another human being with this connects with them and sets their reminiscences free. Therefore, this then thus is not the reminiscences of the hypnotized one, but rather those of someone else. Therefore, it is said that the safeguard factor thus switches in such a way that when the human being is hypnotized, his or her material subconscious creates a connection and steps into connection with some other subconscious form from his or her circle of family, acquaintances or friends, etc., or even with that of the hypnotist or any others, in order to then set free this data of previous incarnations of those people, which indeed it gets passed through their subconscious. Never, however, does the subconscious set one's own data free through hypnosis. If an entirely special, special fact is not taken into consideration and neutralized, which for prevention of very serious mischief, etc., should not be mentioned here. That the subconscious does not set its reminiscence data free through a normal hypnosis finds its justification therein. If the human being would thusly, thus truly know his or her previous lives, how she or he lived through and even experienced it in former lives, then he or she inevitably would fall prey to a material consciousness disturbance, which means that he or she would become mentally dumbed down or crazy. For this reason, because he or she simply, through his or her weak evolutionary level, is not yet in the position to completely perceive, comprehend, and logically follow to bear and work out such data. As already explained, the actual possibility exists that reminiscences can be freely fetched under hypnosis when the security block is knowledgeably set out of function, disabled. However, the, precisely that the hypnotists of this world and of this time not yet understand how to do, fortunately because otherwise, even more terribleness would be brought about than already is brought about by these incapable hypnotists. And such terribleness is brought about in rough amounts already through incapable hypnotists like e.g. through Detlefsen in Munich. In these hypnotic reminiscences, great dangers lie in wait for the hypnotized human being through incapable and partially only partially adept in the truth hypnotists. As a rule, unknowledgeable of their inner wishes and compulsions, the hypnotists hypnotize their victims without therein paying attention that they, as a rule, 
are most extremely susceptible and unstable, which means a destructive danger for them. And by the hypnotists who exist up today, up to today are incapable and only partially adept in the truth of hypnosis, only human beings who are very susceptible and unstable let themselves be brought under hypnosis, which means that those human beings who are cyclically not 100% in order, a cyclically fully equalized human being, namely, does not let themselves be brought under hypnosis by charlatans and other incapable hypnotists. This can occur with them only when True hypnosis is brought to the application, which itself, however, fundamentally is distinguished from the charlatan doing and the incapability doing of today's hypnotists. However, human beings who are now in their instability fall prey to the incapable hypnotists set free data from reminiscences, set data free from reminiscences of other human beings which they, however, then pass off as their own. And what is even worse, they form a delusion that make them wise from what they have been told, that their borrowed reminiscences, in fact, are their own and personal memories, and that they they therewith must now identify themselves. Correspondingly, then many of those under hypnosis also begin to live in their delusion. Thus it occurs that as a rule, such human beings who precisely of the form of reminiscences were hypnotized by incapable hypnotists themselves very strictly live in their own erring delusion and at a racing speed acquire things and capabilities that were of those previous lives and existences of one's own whose existence they discovered and set free through the false form of hypnosis. Thus, unfortunately, it happens then, as in the case of Dietliefsen in Munich, that a woman hypnotized by him falls completely under his spell and enters into a kind of trance state when she only comes into his proximity. And by the same token, it comes then, unfortunately, there too, as in this case, that the woman identifies with her posed one's own delusion-based reminiscences and suddenly becomes artistically creative because she is belief-oriented in her reminiscences, reminiscence delusion that she in one of her previous existences to be formerly Michelangelo because she, through the insanity and the irresponsible doings of Detlefsen, set free the data of the previous existence from the subconsciousness of a human being and these then set free as her own the reminiscence knowledge of a strange human, thus that truthly in a previous life this was formerly Michelangelo himself and who for the hypnotized one as reborn was now precisely a very suitable object for her subconscious connection, her subconscious connection, whereby such a hypnosis process in similar wise, also creates the subconscious connections and connections, as this is the case with mediums who, in their trance state, tap other subconscious forms of living human beings.
In 2008, after I sold my home care business, I was looking for a new profession, something that I felt would bring meaning to my life and not be as stressful as the business I had just left. I'd been reading books by people like Brian Weiss, who claim, who were who claimed that they could um, bring up past lives um, for other people through hypnosis. Um, also, I think uh, Sylvia Brown might have been another one. Um, there's a few others that uh, don't come to mind, but I read several different books by several different authors. And they were claiming that by bringing up um, the past lives of other people, they could help them resolve conflicts in their life now. And um, I became very intrigued by this concept. These were uh, like, for instance, I think Brian Weiss claims to be a doctor. or He is a doctor. And so in my naivete, I... Um, became very fascinated with this and uh, decided I wanted to become a hypnotherapist and do something to help people resolve their traumas and conflicts. So I en enrolled in a certified hypnotherapist training here in Colorado. And after the, during my, my uh, training, in the very beginning, I think I'd been maybe in class for a month or something. Um, that's when I discovered the uh, the Meyer information, uh, discovered Billy's information. And I began reading uh, about hypno hypnosis and hypnotherapy and what it could and could not could not do and the damage it could could cause. So I took this into consideration as I went through my course, and this course um, claimed to help people uh, uncover their past lives. There were also a lot of other um, belief systems in there, such as instructors were brought in to teach us to remove evil spirits from people's um own spirits to um, see people's spiritual guides, that sort of thing. It was all delusional. And I was understanding that during my course. And I was thinking, I need to separate this unreal information. As I went through my course, I realized this, I need to separate this unreal information from the the clinical techniques of hypnosis if I'm going to do this in a in a truth-based manner. And as I finished my course, I went into a uh, the next part of my tr my training, which was learning how to market myself. And they brought in a marketing expert. She has her own hypnosis um, business, and she teaches people how to get their businesses started. And so I was, because of the level of training I had had, was to consider myself a master hypnotherapist. Well, I didn't really feel like a master hypnotherapist. I felt very confused. And even though I put my website together, and with that claim, I never used it. I did my uh, 
my training, my residency or whatever you want to call it, where I bring you bring in people to um, practice your, your techniques. But I never did any past life regression work because of what I'd learned or, you know, attempted it anyway. Um, I, I more did hypnosis to help people with health problems to think, you know, more positively and, and uh, more, more positive thoughts. Because I'd asked Billy um, on questions to Billy what I was to do with this hypnosis training as I didn't want to be a quack and cause any damage to people or to myself. And he recommended I use it for health. But I never did actually set up my training or my um, my business because there was so much confusion, confusion mixed in my training, so much delusion that I couldn't, I didn't feel capable or qualified to be a hypnotherapist. And so while I do claim my training, um, I haven't really used it but just a few times with people. And so I thought this reading of this uh, particular um, translation was very relevant. Join me now in my interview with Ken Moran. Ken is a teacher and musician who currently lives in Cambodia. Now, tell me if I'm pronouncing this right. Phnom Penh? Uh Uh-huh. Is that how you pronounce it? Yep. Oh, good. Because I always want to say Phnom for some reason. And I know that yeah. isn't right. It's a P, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Phnom, how long Penh. How, What? Phnom Penh, yeah. Say it again. Phnom Penh. Phnom Penh, yeah. Okay, so I probably don't have the accent quite, but... <laughs> um, and you've lived in... You've lived not just in... Cambodia, correct? You've lived uh, in different parts of Asia? Yeah. Um, I originally landed in Thailand. Uh, I was following um, a drummer, my drummer from when I lived in Hawaii. That's a whole other story. Um, and he went to Thailand. He was headed for India because he got a big thing of money from Social Security. And he was just gone one week, you know. I was waiting for him for practice and uh, what happened, you know, and I got an email like a year later. Oh, (laughs) you're kidding. No. And and he goes, oh, I'm in Thailand. Why don't you come visit me? And I'm like, all right. (laughs) 
<laughs> so, so he didn't even let you know. He just did a no show on the practice, and then you hear from him a year later. Yeah. Well. It oh, yeah. Dry. It's all right. I know people like that. Uh, <laughs> gone with the wind, you know. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> but he did write me, and I did go visit him, and I just fell in love with the place. It was just incredibly exotic. You know, it was like landing on an alien planet. I couldn't read the writing. Everything mm -hmm. was black, white, neon, and people spoke this weird, funny language. And in my dreams, I realized I was the only one who dreamed in English because I could tell everybody around me was dreaming in Thai. <laughs> okay. <That's laughs> and there's a weird feeling. You, know, you don't mm -hmm. notice it until, until you notice it, right? Yeah. Anyway, I spent a bunch of years there. I became an English teacher because that's what my friend did. I go, hey, I came to play rock with you. You know, what, what, why do you teach English? And then, you know, because the salary was good and lots of perks and you get respect, which, you know, we never got respect. So that was kind of worth something, you know. And <laughs> you mean you anyway, never got I, respect as mu musicians? Oh, you know, just in life, you know. Oh, like yes. Right Dangerfield, you know. Uh, but in Thailand and in Asia, they respect teachers. <clears throat> it's like king, father, mother, teacher. I yeah. see. Yeah. yeah, that's not the way it is in the U.S., absolutely. No, 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 no. no. So we can never get any respect. So that, that kind of counted for something. And anyway, uh, so what happened? I sort of became estranged from him. I went back to Hawaii, and I got bored after three months, and I had to go back to Asia. And... <clears throat> At the time, there was a big war happening, a civil war. I'm kind of, I'm trying not to detract, but it's all it's all right. No, uh, it's okay. A big civil war going on in Thailand in the streets between the government and the poor people, and uh, they deposed the prime minister. And uh, there I was being a teacher in Bangkok, and uh, I had to go to work through a battle zone every day. Sometimes they'd call me. And say, uh, oh, it's too bad today. They're shooting, you know, blood and all that. Uh, don't come oh. to work. <laughs> I'm like, okay, hey, thanks. You know, I'm getting paid, right, for today? Yeah, you get paid. Yeah, okay. Interesting. <laughs> and so I kind of got, got, yeah, I got kind of tired of that. Uh, and I moved uh, to the northern border uh, where the Mekong River passed with Laos. A uh, place called Nankai it was just really surreal, you know, all this wood tie pointing stuff all over the place, and people on long tail boats on the on Milky River, you know, with the fog, and it was just like a movie, you know, this time mm -hmm. and all that. And I really liked it there. And then um, uh, I went back to Hawaii for a little bit. <clears throat> Uh, came back to Thailand just at the end of the war uh, to watch the biggest mall up in flames, right? And uh, I said, oh, well, wow. I, need, I need another place to go. This is just, this is, it used to be so nice and mellow and cheap, and then it just got exactly the opposite. So I go, well, Cambodia seems okay. <laughs> you know, I took vacations to Laos and other places, but I thought, okay. Yeah, so what, I, what, about what time, you know, what year, the years of, was this? Okay. Uh, I landed in Thailand in 2001. I stayed until about 2008. 
Uh, so I that's when these wars were going on? Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. About two, three years, actually. It just kept getting worse, you know. Jeez. But in Thailand, they're very polite. It's weird. You had the rioters and you had the soldiers fighting in the street. And mm-hmm. uh, this, this uh, group of tourists got caught in the middle. Amazingly, they all stopped fighting on both sides. And they politely escorted the tourists out into the safety zone and then started fighting again. Oh, <laughs> really? Yeah. That yeah. would be an interesting scene in a movie. Yeah. 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 Wow. Like very that's uh, very interesting. Yeah. Hmm. So I, I, I got to Cambodia in 2010 after bouncing around and traveling around and, and running out of money. And I found out uh, after I'd been here about six months that my friend, who I originally went to see, he died of lymphoma. Okay. This is the drummer? The drummer. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So he oh. was, my first connect was gone, and I really kind mm-hmm. of felt alone. You know, I mean, I had this real feeling of alone. <laughs> yeah, I bet. Yeah. Okay. So let me get back on point. So, um I kind of bummed around Cambodia for a while. I uh, got teaching jobs here and there. I hooked up with a Cambodian woman. She had a family. Um, <clears throat> I taught for five years in a, in a province, in a night school. I created a, a program, managed foreigners and, and, and Cam- Cam- uh, Khmer people. And... Um, you created a, I'm sorry, I couldn't quite understand what you just said. You created I, I a program. Created an English program, yeah, bilingual okay. English. Your, your voice kind of cut out a little bit, so. Yeah, my phone's doing weird things. Um, so then I went to Vietnam for a while and taught English there. All this revolves around teaching English. I came to, e- to Asia to play music. I became an English teacher, and it became a thing. I right. was able to finance my travels by teaching English, you know. Mm-hmm. There's an advertisement here. You know? <laughs> right. So I Vietnam for a while, and that was really hard, man. That was like boot camp, you know? Uh, oh, I always felt like Big Brother was watching me. And uh, Where was this? Say that again. You were aware? Vietnam. Oh, Vietnam. Oh, really? Yeah. Why, yeah. why did you feel that way? Um, just because it's a... Uh, quote-unquote socialist communist country and um, that's the way they are they all watch each other and, and nobody makes oh. moves without big brother knowing what's going on you know great and, yeah and and they're very like uh regimented and almost militaristic uh the way they march the students around and my assistant uh she was really just like tough as nails but yet kind of kind of sweet on me you know so i was I was trying to imagine where it would go, and I just couldn't go there. So, mm-hmm. well, you <laughs> know, she would she would smack the kids on the hands, you know, with the ruler and stuff, and she regimented them. They stood up when they told to stood up, and sat down when they told to sit down. And I was like, damn, you know, Ooh. scary. Yeah, that it is. It was and hot. You, it, what? <laughs> <laughs> and it was hot. Okay. It was hot. I thought that's Stupid. what you said. Oh, I thought, like, well, he doesn't mean the weather. <laughs> no, I do mean the weather. I mean, you know, <laughs> yeah, I do. When you see these movies and they're just dying of sweat and huge insects, that's real. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. 
So, yeah. you know, it's funny you're talking about, you know, communism and socialism and, and the how it was represented there, you know, your uh -huh. experience. And yeah, yeah, you know, we've got corporate socialism going on here where, you know, all the, all the um, big corporations are being bailed out, but it's different, right? Mm -hmm. If it's a big corporation, <laughs> they yeah, just give them money. <laughs> it's not expelled that you're happy because of money, you know, but it's really yes. kind of becoming same thing, you know, totalitarianism. Mm -hmm. uh, that's just my opinion there. Yeah. So anyway, I, you know, I, all this, all this time I was in contact with Alex, you know. Uh, uh, Williams, Alex, you mean? Yeah, Alex Williams. Okay, yeah. And, and we've been conversing a lot of stuff. I kind of talked him into like going to China and teaching English. I mean, teaching English in Asia, but he did the China thing himself, you know. And right. I was really proud of him. It's like, wow, you know, you follow my advice. He's in there. He's kicking ass. He's making money. You know, he's got his mm -hmm. uh, hot Chinese girlfriend. And, you know, he's doing it right. Right. <laughs> and, uh, and then I, I I found out that he wanted to leave his job and go to uh, another job that paid more. And so we communicated, and I ended up uh, going from Vietnam back to Cambodia, and then flying to China on really short notice and short money just, just so I could take over this job, you know, and, and get experience teaching in China. And that turned into an incredible adventure. I did that for a year. Mm. Um, yeah, so Asia, you know, how did I get to Asia? What's the story? The teaching yeah. brought me everywhere, then to China. And then after so, China, it was just... can I ask you a question about your teaching? Because... I wondered if it was sure. the same as what my son Noah did. That's how he got around is he was teaching uh, English. I don't know if uh -huh. you knew that, but, um, oh, but his was, you know, he's, he doesn't have a college degree or anything. He was just teaching, helping people who were trying to learn English. He was having conversations with them and have, helping them to correct their, their word usage and understand, you know, um, the, intricacies of the English language is is that what you were doing or were you this is more of a formal um school with the it, it kind of, you know the degree like kind of thing that. it kind of it kind of started informal but the system mm -hmm. there is pretty much they have a book system and you go in and you follow the book and they they have a a, a local teacher go in and teach a similar subject before you and then you go in there and you are the mouth you are the language living in the body speaking to them right. with all the okay systems. you represent the language right and they can't get that anywhere right but, and that so that's kind of what noah was doing yeah but so. then you know i got into it you know and i've been doing it like 20 years now mm -hmm. so i got like a degree i got a tesla i got teaching experience in five countries. I mean, it just goes yeah. on and on. Nice. I could do it in my school now, and I still enjoy it, you know. Mm -hmm. it, it's fun. In China, I was teaching all ages, mostly in a language center, because they want to hear you speak. They want to do a conversation. They want to right. uh, improve their <clears throat> English, you know. Mm -hmm. You have to kind of be a jack-of-all-trades. You know, at this point, I could jump into just about any situation, I think, and, and handle it, you know. So. Mm -hmm. Um, but this, that's, that's my Asian adventure and it's still going on, you know, yes. <laughs> I know just from the later. conversations I've had with you, it seems like quite an adventure yeah. and, you know, having only been to Japan, 
as far as Asian yeah. countries. And uh, uh, that was back in the early 80s. No, sorry, uh, not the early 80s, the early 90s. And uh, uh, I found it, you know, quite exotic. But it was funny how uh, they were really wanting, they loved the West. And uh, when yeah. I went to Japan, they all dressed like it was the 60s in America. <laughs> it was kind of interesting. I, I bopped a little bit in Japan, and uh, I really like Japan. You know, I like yeah. what Japan produces. I like it, too. I wish I, could, I wish I could spend more time there. I, I really mm -hmm. like it, and the Japanese people. You know. Yeah, they were wonderful, actually. And I couldn't believe how clean Tokyo was. You know, it's been... My son clean. has been there. Yeah. Yes, I was amazed how clean it was. And at that time, there were no homeless people. I don't uh, know about now, but I haven't really discussed that much with them. Yeah. I, I don't now think there still is very many. You compare that with Hong Kong, and it's almost the mm -hmm. opposite. Hong Kong, you feel like, oh, I don't want to touch anything. You know? <laughs> oh, really? Is it very grubby? Old and icky. And, uh, and they, they clean the heck out of it, but I mean, it's like opposite, but. I had to do Hong Kong a lot, as part of the kind of thing. But yeah, Japan, I'd love to do that. Taiwan was interesting because you know all these Asian countries got a different flavor going. You know, they, I'm sure. Uh, yes, they all came from uh, what the Suzuki Galaxy, according to Billy. Well, uh, they're all recent of arrivals, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, stemming from one point, and you can really kind of see it. They all got that space age alien thing going you know <laughs> <laughs> yeah i could i could see that yeah, I, yeah absolutely well and you know when you when you listen to that interview with chris and and francisco that you and i were talking about earlier um, uh -huh. and he was saying how what a big hit the ufo stuff was in japan uh -huh. that makes sense they were much more yeah. um willing to entertain this idea and embrace it yeah that we're it's being fresh visited. in their psyche you know yes and, and same thing here in asia among the asians that i encounter i i show them the pictures i i give them the blurb i talk about uh the paharan and and they just eat it up they love it you know mm -hmm. <laughs> i never get a you're crazy or anything out of any of them you know how refreshing <laughs> well you know i don't yeah. know in, in america most people if you're face to face with them they're they're too polite to actually tell you you're crazy they just get that yeah. kind of glazed far away look like <laughs> okay this person is weird but they don't really come out and say it but you know right. that you're never going to be invited for coffee again <laughs> <laughs> Like, well, okay. <laughs> yeah, or, so, you or know, that Sunday dinner. Right. I, I don't usually bring that stuff up anymore because. I don't either. Yeah. I never do with the West people. Like, no. One in a hundred. In a hundred. One in a hundred. That's about it. Yeah. We, we actually have a couple of friends now that, that I'm, that, uh, aren't into this. I mean, they, they think, you know, it's ab absolutely possible that they're aliens, mm. you know, they, they they get it and they don't we don't really have conversations but they they've seen our books around and and i think maybe they have even listened to a couple of my podcasts so they know what i'm into but they are really cool about it they're still our friends <laughs> they, 
<laughs> they're like, okay, that's, that's your wonderful. thing. Fine. And that's great. Actually. Yeah. Refreshing. Uh, most of my old, old hippie friends, you know, uh, from way back in the day, <laughs> um, they were always cool with it too, but you know, they were kind of cool with anything, I guess, you know? Right. Yeah. <laughs> There's no discrimination but, there in, but, in any way, shape, or form, you mean? <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, it, was like, it was groovy, psychedelic. Wow, cool. I want one. Then the yeah. Space Brothers, et cetera, and all that. But people are so uptight these days, man. Mm -hmm. You know, you can't fart in the they wrong are. note or else they get just upset, you know? <laughs> I do. Let we were me just talking about here. well, what we were talking about was we were talking about um, you know that that the um, can you hear that? Or is it I just can. Me? What is it? Oh, it's it's my my um, notifications, and I thought it I turned them off. Yeah. Sounded like what? It sounds like it's on your end. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it was. I just wondered if it was coming through the recording. Uh, so what we were talking about was um, uh, how the the Asians accept the UFO thing, uh, uh -huh. and then we kind of went off, you know, I I oh, did right. on on you know right. just how uptight people get about well, that. Well, it's here. in their legends. It's in their legends, oh. and it comes also from the Hindu culture and the Vimanas and. Really? Uh, yeah, uh, you know, t Thai language is a, is a mix of uh, Indonesian and Hindu and uh, Cambodian, which is the Khmer, and, and the Khmer language is actually a source language, but they all share characteristics and with strong influence from India, and you can see it a lot in the movies, you know, um, so... They accept the whole gods from heaven thing and, you know, supernatural powers is like nothing. It's, it's just there. They accept it. I see. Well, yeah. um, as you know, my, I find it interesting that I'm now developing this more Cambodian for connection mm. first with you. And then my son, of course, is dating, uh, half Cambodian, half French uh, oh. woman, and they are Poor still guy. planning to go to Cambodia. It's in the works. <laughs> what? He doesn't stand a chance. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, she was raised in France, but uh -huh. um, I, th I, I was announced to me yesterday that they're going to get married. <laughs> and uh -huh. um, when either in France or here. Yeah. Oh, uh -huh. no, I'm fine with it. I was just the funny mm -hmm. thing is when they first showed up, I kept yeah. dreaming about weddings. Uh. And they weren't talking about weddings. And, um, you know, I figured it was a little early for that kind of thing. Uh -huh. And um, and then um, he told my son told me that they didn't want to get married, that she didn't want to get married. That's when they were here. And, uh, huh. and I went, Oh, okay. And then now, um, they've realized if they're going to be able to live in a country together, um, they probably, and not get kicked out, you know, they should get married right. because they want to be together. 
And uh, uh, so my so my dreams living in Cambodia, what? living in Cambodia. N no, they're they're just going to spend time in Cambodia, <clears throat> just so they can be together for a while. Um, and her be near her parents uh, because her father's there right now in Cap and her mother's in France, but she's going back to Cap. And uh, uh, so, but then after that, they're going to, if, you know, if it all still works out, because you know how that is, um, they're still sure. getting to know each other. Um, they're going to either get married. I was told this yesterday, they're going to get married in France or here after about a uh, year in Cambodia together. So, um, I went, well, there's a reason I kept dreaming about weddings. Weddings. Kept, they had to get a Cambodian yeah. wedding. <laughs> Why? You ever what? see a Cambodian wedding? Oh, oh no. Oh, it's no. a spectacle. Oh, it's Is an incredible it? spectacle. Yes. Huh. <laughs> you haven't lived till so you've seen a Cambodian wedding. Oh, my. Yep. More than a spectacle than a U.S. one, I take it then. Uh, yeah, just the way it's done. Um, it's like a circus tent and they, they take over a street. They got trucks come in with tables and, and they, they set it all up. Everybody comes up dressed to the nines, flowers everywhere. Monks are praying, you know, um, mm -hmm. there's food everywhere. And then the big band plays, everybody gets sloshed and then they clean up and it's gone the next day and you never know it was there. Yeah. Wow. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, they're not going to do that. I can guarantee it. <laughs> <laughs> they're they're like they don't even want a anything like that. They just want to go get the marriage, you know, legalized, and then they're going to have dinner uh, with whichever parents happen to be there. I'm just like, you know, I'd uh, like to be there. My uh, first, how exciting! My first son got married on a cruise, and so. Mm. I, I haven't got to, to have to do that yet. And I was pretty cool about it. We had a reception for him when they got back, but you uh, know, I went, well, it's your thing. You got to do whatever you want to do. Uh, right. It's a good so, reason to get out to Cambodia, you know? Well, they're not going to get married there. We, oh, they're we're going to get married. Yeah. I think they, it has to be in either the U S or France for it to be. Legal, oh, legally recognized, you know, because right. I think she's a she has dual citizenship, but I think it has maybe more to do with him. And so I guess they've looked in, looked into all this. So I don't know. It's but. it's a it's a big legal tangle here. I tell you, you know, they're very strict about uh, marriage regu regulations. Are they? <clears throat> yes. Yeah. Well. Um, so tell me about what's going on there with the coronavirus and I'd like to hear how it is there compared to how it is here. Okay. I'll try to make it a little shorter than how I got to Asia. Okay. <laughs> no, you're fine. You're fine. Okay. Yeah. Um, well, uh, uh, I can start from my point of view because that's, that's where I am. Uh, me right. and a, a co-teacher. Me and a co-teacher, my friend Ron, uh, started talking about uh, the, the virus that came up in, in Wuhan, you know, because we, we pay attention to stuff like that, and right. that it was spreading fast, and um, how that the hygiene was really not so good in Cambodia, and people didn't really care or get it about bacteria and viruses and germs, you know, and 
we were starting to be really kind of worried about it, you know. And then it started really spreading everywhere, you yeah. know. It took off, right? And so we were like, wow, this this is getting really bad. And we were all w- w- uh, wearing masks. But it wasn't in Cambodia yet, strangely enough. I don't know what it is. Um, and uh, <clears throat> then one day, the government just shut everything down. Uh, we were teaching. And my last day of teaching was a Friday the 13th, by the way. <laughs> I don't know if that means oh. anything, but it's just coincidental. And uh, that was the last day. And then I, I haven't taught for six months. And everything stopped. They shut the borders. They shut the airports. They, they stopped letting people in. They stopped the traffic. I mean, this place shut down, you know. And all uh-huh. the foreigners started getting bad vibes from all the locals. Like, why you try to bring this thing to us? you know and um everybody hibernated started kind of staying away from each other but the cambodians kind of kind of clung together and i think because of that tribalism they had going they stopped it from ever spreading to each other and because it's a small country they're able to control the borders right and all the local asian countries did the same thing so they just stopped it and for three months there was no traffic in or out, no visas, no nothing, no work. I mean, we were starving, right? You, I, yeah. You helped me through some of that, you know, which I really appreciate. You know. And um, anyway, just recently, it's starting to open up again. But still, you, you can't get in on a land border. You have to come in through the airport and go through uh, uh, inspections and quarantine. You got to pay a deposit in case you get sick. And part of that deposit is if you die, they cremate you, you know. I mean, they thought oh, of really? everything. Okay. Yeah. And so, mm-hmm. step by step, they've been opening up. Like, they're just starting to open up the schools now. I'm probably going back to work next month. But that's how they controlled it. And whenever they find it anywhere, they step mm-hmm. on it right away. And there's been no communal transmission. It's all brought in. And then they just stop that at the airport and they stick, send, send the people to the hospital. And nobody died that we know about. And, uh, and most everybody gets out of the hospital. And I don't know why the sun shines on Cambodia about that, but it does. And I'm thankful. Well, yes, he should be because, yeah. as you know, that's not happening here. Yeah. Oh, so yeah. No kidding. And then, yeah, then well, they, America off with the virus, and I was just stunned, you know? Yeah, and I saw it coming and was hoping, I thought they would, I thought they would handle it. I was shocked when I saw how it was dealt with and how it was called a, a, uh, you know, a hoax at first by, by Trump. I was going, what? And I had a couple it, of friends, you know, Say that to me too. I go, it's a hoax, and I go, yeah. Look, man, I'm in a country that shut down its entire economy. They wouldn't yes. do that if it was a hoax, you it, know. Exactly. And you know, the attitude I see here now is for with a lot of people. There are people, sane people around me who who get it and are horrified about the, the way it's being handled, and they're still being very careful. But it seems to me like the the population here, the general attitude is more like well what are you going to do it's not you know it's not everyone's not going to die or anything we just need to keep hey, it. Sarah, Sarah. 
<laughs> kind of, yes. They are, yes. It's it's weird. It's wild. I, I'm just. Well, I guess I, let's party then. You know, yeah, if we're gonna go out, let's party. Yeah, there's that too, going on. Yes, yeah. I think so. And uh, yeah, they they still all have it in their head um, that you have to already be sick to to get it and die from it. That you can't. Um, yeah, that they're. You know, pe people are walking around with underlying conditions that, that can make them vulnerable, and they don't even realize it until mm. they get it. And then, so anyway, um, yeah. yeah. So kinda, it just keeps going on, the carnage you know. here. Yeah. What? Kind of Darwinian. Yes. Oh, absolutely. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, it's... Um, it's and I see parents. Uh, they're strict. They care, and then the ki their kid starts pressuring them to go play sports, and they cave. Well, they're yeah. wearing masks and they're taking their temperature. I'm like, yeah, by the time they take their temperature, you mm -hmm. know, they already have probably infected yeah. other teammates and that type of thing. But um, so when you say they step on it, there, what do they do? Well, um, they just they they send the officials after them right away, and then they isolate them. Okay. But it's only happened like once or twice, you know. And somebody broke Jeez. quarantine, and the cops chased them down, and they were back into quarantine, you know. So they really uh, get it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Everybody knows about it here. Yeah. Uh, okay. So. And and there's it, I was very surprised, you know, and everybody was much more hygienic and clean about everything and caring about it. You know, there's like alcohol and masks everywhere you go. Um, you know, people adapted. That's what they did. Yeah, that's uh, good. Wish yeah, they'd wish do it, that everywhere else. Oh, me too. <laughs> me too. Yeah. Because, you know, it's going to, this is because, you know, they're, handling it not handling it really it's going to be protracted yeah and it's not going away anytime soon mm -mm. Mm -mm. no so um tell me how you um now now you're living in Phnom Penh and you're going uh -huh. getting ready to go back to school right they're going to open the schools uh -huh. soon and yeah, you get like to go back to teaching and yeah. so they'll probably be what pretty strict with the masks and um, low what? class numbers, uh, uh, a meter or so distance between all the desks. Um, there are there are rules. It's going to be very sanitized. Everybody wearing masks. Um, you know, getting temperatures checked. At the first sign of anybody ill, they get sent to a place to get checked. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it seems to me like they're doing what they should do about it, you know. And uh, the thing is that it's a pretty safe bet that by now, six months later, nobody in the country really has it, you know. Yeah, because they've been so careful. So, yeah, this is a safe assumption at this point. It's still an assumption anything could happen, but it's a safe assumption. So we're all kind of like going back to normal, but very aware and conscious that maybe the other person might have that might have it so treat them like that you know keep mm -hmm. your distance be safe be sure and let's learn you know 
I see. So um, it's interesting that the player and they'll say that none of the countries have taken strict enough um, mm. precautions. They don't single anyone out and say this country has done a really good job, but every, but you know, uh -huh. they say none yeah. of them have. What do you think? Of well, that? I tell you, I see uh, the bulk of Cambodians going around with no face masks. <clears throat> and uh, if there started to be an infection, it would spread pretty darn quick, you know. But it's it's right. like uh, it's like an island, and as long as it stays outside, everybody's okay. Yeah. How long they keep it going? I don't know. Doing pretty good so far. Yeah, but do they rely on tourism a lot though for their economy? Uh, they did. It's down like ninety nine percent, and that's yeah. a real number. Yeah. But I mean, how are they how are they coping economically without that money coming in from the tourism? Uh, the whole country is taking a big hit economically. Yeah. Uh, the poor are getting poorer. The richer are a little poorer, too. I know I'm poor. Mm -hmm. Everybody I know is poor. You know, yeah. fortunately, it's not that expensive to live here. <laughs> but yeah. uh, I don't know how much longer I could hold out at this point. You know? Right. And and. So how are, is our food supplies? Um, plenty of food. Okay. Yeah, plenty of food. Yeah. Are there any other shortages? Any shortages though? Just, you know, because I know your food is good, but I'm just kind of, you know, trying to get a, a picture for people who don't aren't there that are here or somewhere else, um, what it's like there. And so, do you have any shortage of? shortages of things that you could get before but now it's hard or is everything pretty much uh, for me for me no but i know a large bulk of the population of cambodians are out of work because they relied on factories which have now closed mm -hmm. <clears throat> so they can't get jobs so a lot of them are back in the villages on the farm depending on agriculture which doesn't pay much at all you know so. right there's a lot no. more poverty happening. Yeah. Not yeah. surprising. Mm. So tell me how you found out about um, Billy. I'm always curious uh, to hear how people discovered I this. I was waiting. I was waiting for this question. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I was like, is she going to ask me that question or not? I am. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, uh, way, way back in the, the hipster days, you know, everything was sort of serendipitous. And uh, I was living in Santa Cruz, California. The year was 1974 or five. And I was hanging, around, hanging out on Santa Cruz Mall with a friend of mine. And we used to go into the bookshop Santa Cruz all the time. And uh, one day I, I, I looked on the on the shelf, you know, it's like I felt a little tingle. You know, I started getting little tingles and I, and I looked uh -huh. at this book and it was the first Paharan book with, with uh, the, the ship, the type one ship on the cover. And I just went directly forward and picked it up and I said, man, this is it. This is the one. I know this is it, you know. Mm -hmm. All this other stuff is fake, but this, look at this, you know, and I showed my friend and we were just sitting there gawking and uh, we both uh, dished up the money. It was like 50 bucks, and it was used. And yeah. we, we bought it, and brought it home, and just, you know, 
went all through it. I photographed all the pictures, had them up on my walls. And uh, then I guess my life kind of changed a little bit after that. <laughs> it was in a state of change anyway. But um, I swear, and I really haven't told anybody about this, but I'll, I'll, I'll let it go for, for, for your program here. But I was walking back home through the mountains. This was after that. And uh, suddenly I got a little tingle again. It was toward sunset. I looked up in the sky. And there was like one of these ships. It was like type one, type two. And I just saw it for like a couple seconds, you know, and then it mm-hmm. sort of went like pale and then clouds came. It went pale and then clouds came. And in my in my mind, you know, I got caught the flash of a face of a guy with like long hair and a beard. And then it went and I was like, well, another another episode in the day of life of Ken, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I got home and I just continued on, you know. That's that's the way things rolled, you know. But then right. I started. Uh, years kind of went by, and then I started picking up more information here and there, and then uh, finally I got to the first contact reports, and, and I started putting flesh on the bones and making all these connections between uh, what I already knew and what I was finding out and what was happening now, and then. One thing led to another, and then it was like a starburst effect, you know. Mm. Uh, one day, it just kind of all disappeared, and then I kind of went gaga about it. And I just really got into the studies, and um, here, here, here I am again with that, you know. That's just the continuing story. Right. It just kind uh, of weaves in and out so, of life, doesn't it? Yeah. You know? I don't feel so intense about it. I'm more used to it. It's like... You know, when you when you first see a car and you've never seen a car before, you're amazed, right? You know? Right. Now we see a freeway of cars and it's no big deal. You know, so. Yeah, I get that. I, I was I think about that sometimes, how it was for me when I first um, discovered it and how intense it was and <clears throat> how now it's just part of my life. And, uh-huh. you know, my main, you know, now my goal is just trying to do whatever I can to help forward it and uh-huh. with along with all the other distractions in life that I have to deal with, you know, yeah, yeah. Like, like living, eating, <laughs> that kind of thing, <laughs> yeah. you know, yeah. Uh-huh. I'm wondering where, you know, how fast the U S is going <clears> to <throat> go down the tubes. Look like it's happening pretty quickly. It sure does. I mean, a change of president is not going to change the, the, the way that people are, you know? know. Yeah, I do. I don't, I, I'm kind of surprised people think that still, mm. because has that really happened before in our memory that a change of president drastically changed the way things were going? No, I can't remember it. No, I, I no. just things of the plans that those who, have the money and the power, just march on, don't they? That's my they impression. Yes. No matter, uh-huh. you know, they, they concede a little here and there. If people protest a lot, you know, maybe they'll give a little bit, you know, um, uh-huh. or make it look like they are. I see that, you know, a good example is the black community and what they're dealing with. Uh. They, you know, they're still struggling with equality after all these years. Yeah. And so, yeah, I don't think it's, um, it's going to make a whole lot of difference. 
myself. There's a perfect storm going on in America, in, yeah. in, and quite literally in a lot of ways, too. You know, there's real storms hitting the place. I mean, you know, yeah. cause and effect. There you go. How many years has America been been sewing its 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 dark art across the face of the earth, you know, yeah. and now it's come back to roost. And yes. just when they're weak, you know, and, you know, yeah, I'm an I American. And, and what I see now, I don't recognize, you know, I know. <laughs> yeah. So no, Yeah. If you look back at when, say, like we talk about the 70s, I think of the 70s so fondly now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I think, oh, those were the days. When, yeah. you know, I was Good more innocent, happened. the world yeah. seemed more innocent. Maybe it wasn't, <clears throat> but it seemed like it to me. And um, yeah. uh, now, you know, like, that's why I say no matter the 60s protests happened, not, and then all those people who were protesting in the 60s became, you know, caught up in materialism. Yeah. And, uh, most of them did. And got sucked into the, you know... American dream thing. Not and me, so, man. I, yeah. <laughs> I didn't sell out to the man. I, I protested <laughs> in the 60s and I'm, I'm still there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. That's funny. And so, but a lot yeah. of them have come out the other end um, realizing that they did, I think. Uh, or yeah. some of them have anyway. Um, yeah. And you know, my husband and I talked about that, that we kind of got sucked in up into it too. Not to the, not for very long and not to the extreme. A lot of people did luckily, but we, uh, we, we visited that place of, Hey, you know, it's, it's all about, you know, the house you live in and all in, you know, the dream home and all that. And then we got there and went, Oh yeah, this, we liked our life before better. <laughs> <laughs> we, this isn't that great. <laughs> Yeah, we realized yeah. it very quickly, actually. Uh, yeah, we got a cool home and, you know, but we were working our butts off just to keep it. So, uh -huh. yeah. Well, you seem like you're doing pretty good. You have a beautiful home, you know. Oh, thanks. Yeah, I mean, we bought it. It was definitely a fixer-upper. Um, uh -huh. um, and no, it's it's nice, It's but it's much more modest than what we lived in before, uh -huh. and that's fine. It suits our needs, and, you know, we've made it a pleasant to look at and you know just improved it so it's more comfortable but uh yeah. you know we don't even have air conditioning so well it's, you don't need it in colorado man it gets what, cold as butt up there yeah yeah <laughs> it gets hot too but um the way the house is designed and we have a, we have evaporative cooling and we're out in the country mm -hmm. so you know we don't like everything refrigerated to death anyway uh -huh. neither neither bill or i have ever liked over refrigeration type atmospheres so it, it works it works and uh now i'm just kind of going well i mean just you know you know where longmont is right so uh, if you remember it's just about uh 45 minutes uh south of where i live <clears throat> and it's like a bedroom community to boulder uh so a lot of people who can't afford to live in Boulder, which is probably most people that work there, live in yeah. Longmont. And and uh -huh. I hear that um, I was quite shocked to hear because we're kind of out in our little country bubble here, you know, where it's peaceful and, you know, we don't hear. We have to, I have to go on the news to see what's happening. Our friends have to tell me. Um, uh -huh. There said so the car, the thefts 
especially car thefts have really gone up dramatically there. Yeah. And this is not a very big town, Longmont. It's, uh -huh. you know, I don't know. And crime is just, just spiking in America everywhere. Yeah, it is. And I hear, though, these reports, there are people that actually come on and say, still are saying that crime is down. I'm going, what? So really? the, the, disparage, the disparity in uh, information here is kind of blowing my mind. Um, uh, just, uh, you know, some people are saying, oh, yeah, it's safer than it's ever been. I'm going, okay, where do you live? What country are you? Are you in the same country? <laughs> Than I'm like in because, <laughs> yeah, and I'm seeing um, shots of the, you know, cities downtown and everything's graffitied and boarded up. Mm. It's kind of wild. Yet well, you drive you know, around whole, here and you wouldn't whole, even know it. The, the whole city thing is so artificial. It's no wonder people are rebelling against it. You know, it doesn't yeah. give them anything. <clears throat> no, yeah. exactly. You know, yeah. I really um, realized that to its full extent when I, I did a... Um, about six months, I drove for Uber in downtown Denver. Oh, and really? that's, yeah, that's back when they first started and the money was good because they were uh -huh. trying to get drivers, you know. And uh -huh. yeah, we were going through some financial um, hard, hardship, hardships. So um, I drove for Uber for about six months because I just, we just needed some fast cash, you know, to help get us through. Uh -huh. And, um, yep. <laughs> and, I was I was downtown and I was just going. It just and and this strikes me too. Whenever I have to stay in an airport hotel, I kind of get the same mm. feeling. I'm like, there's no food. If you don't have, if I didn't have money down here, I would be so screwed. There's no like, you know, it, it's it just feels so fortress like, uh, and that it's yeah. just for those people who have. I I think I think how do the homeless do it? down here it's they don't <laughs> yeah they don't like, um it's it's it was kind of sad because everything was just it just didn't feel like it was very friendly or <clears throat> conducive to living or and i and i remember feeling really sad when i was driving around down there i was just like this is yeah the cities oh, and i thought that kind of you know i was um i was in sedona recently and I was remarking to Bill, you know, we were staying. There's not many people there right now, which is perfect time to be there because it's so friggin' hot. Nothing can live, you know, <clears throat> except for the desert plants. And um, that's such an artificial town. It's beautiful, you know, uh -huh. but the, the Indians didn't actually live in Sedona. That was a sacred place. They lived along the uh -huh. creek where the water and the trees are. But there's uh -huh. all these multi-million dollar homes and uh, all these shops selling, you know, crystals and stuff. It's really weird. I was just like, it's so, I said, this is a fantasy and it's not sustainable. Yeah, it's a totally artificial lifestyle, even though they're all, it's very, you know, spiritual supposedly. And yeah, it's kind of it's strange. Oh, yeah. look, something shiny. Yes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh, Pretty and it makes much. a it makes a sound. Do you hear that? You see that? Yeah. 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 Been there, done that. Yeah. So, I'm kind of wondering how those town those uh, very artificial like that hasn't collapsed. You know, there's no graffiti or boards because it's not big enough, really. But what's it going to look like later? I'm kind of wondering, as things go down, are they going to put a gate up and you know? 
just the rich people are going to be able to get in. I, I don't know. It's, mm-hmm. uh, it'll be interesting to see how things, because there's nothing I can do to stop it. So I'm just watching it now to see how it's going to yeah. go down. You know, yeah, it's, anything... it's, a little, it's a little scary for sure. Yeah, uh, you know, it, it it could make a turnaround because the 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 I don't know if they like to be called the P or not, but I call them the P. But the, the Pahans, they yeah. say yeah, they said uh, if things didn't change after 2020, right? Well, they... and it's still 2020, you know, and there's well, no... no chance to pull out of it. Actually, they said, um, if things didn't, yeah, kind of, they were saying, but they were saying after 2020, if things didn't change, this is how I understood it. If things didn't change, then after 2020, all these things were going to happen. That's how they said it. And so then Uh I thought in the beginning, I thought, well, they, they mean like at 2020. So Uh luckily I thought that. And so, you know, we were doing our thing to get positioned so that it wouldn't be so hard for us, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. And then I thought, well, Bill and I both were talking about, we're like, well, maybe they mean, you know, their, their, their sense of time and our sense of time is so different because their lifespans are so much longer than ours. Yeah. So I thought, well, maybe they mean, you know, we're, and I'm, I'm reading all the financial stuff and looking at, at what's going on just to kind of, see if I can get a handle on when things are going to go down. And so we're thinking, okay, we, we still have a couple more years before it falls apart. And we probably did if the, would have, if the pandemic hadn't mm-hmm. happened. Yeah. And, um, and then that suddenly was it was just here. Punch. Yep. What? That was a real sucker punch. The pandemic. Yes, it was. Uh-huh. And I mean, they mentioned that there was going to be this, this lung disease, you know, and, but, uh-huh. um, and I remember, Back when I was reading all this, you know, I was reading all the prepper stuff, really, really intensively uh-huh. reading it about, you know, like eight years ago or nine years ago. Um, the pan- stuff about pandemics came up and I was, it kind of freaked me out. I was going, okay, this could really happen. I saw a few uh-huh. movies like, you know, I read about Ebola and I saw, I, I can't remember the name of the movie, but the one with Dustin Hoffman uh-huh. and Renee. Also, Russo. there was the Andromeda, the Andromeda strain. Yes. Uh, Christopher yes. and I were, were talking about that. We're, we're, we're closet sci-fi freaks and mad magazine uh, lovers, you know. And so mm-hmm. <laughs> we started yeah. talking about how close reality is to all these different things. You know? Oh, yes. Yeah. Yes. Andromeda, Andromeda strain really came, came, came to the forefront there, you know. And it's like it yeah. almost makes you want to like cough a lot so you don't you know get infected right (laughs) yeah (laughs) i know and and uh so i realized that a pandemic was a could absolutely happen it happened these have they've happened before it's not like it's something new and that's never happened although people act like it is you know and uh then so i did some memory what it's not in recent memory, that's why. Right. And so, but I was more concerned, kind of like, you know, with war. Like, you and I have talked about that. With war here. That's what like, I thought it was going to be. That's I what know. I thought it was going to be. Really quick, you know? Yeah. And then, um, so I have the, like, gas masks and suits and stuff, you know? 
wouldn't that be fun <laughs> to go walk around downtown with that on? I've seen pictures of people doing that, but I never broke those out because, you know, I read the, the contact notes and, and I saw what they were doing in, you know, with the PPE and that kind of thing. But, um, we were like, Oh, we didn't have N95s on hand. We had gas masks, mm. even though, you know, I kept telling, I told you that I kept looking, kind of putting myself in the future going, what's this going to look like when things really yeah. start to crumble? And I saw myself at home and it was quiet and that that was the best place to be. Well, that turned out to be true. Mm. I thought, wow, that's interesting. So I picked a good spot. That's, it seems like I picked a good yeah. spot. And, uh, um, little did I know, you know, cause out being out in the country, wherever you're at, it's much pre preferable. And so now there's this big mass exodus happening from the cities here. I don't know if you knew about oh, that, but they're, yeah. Everybody's going country now. They are. And uh. because they, a lot of them are already work from home uh -huh. and, um, I mean, they can, they found out they can work from home. I'm saying, you know, they're, they're staying at home in the city and they're going, well, if I, and their, their companies are telling them, Hey, for the foreseeable future, and we're even changing our policies, we're going to do more distance work. So they're leaving and they're buying uh, houses and stuff in smaller communities. And so the real estate market here is weird. It's crazy. The, yeah. Homes and, and, you know, because people aren't putting their homes on the market that live out in the country for various reasons, you know, um, they don't want people traipsing through their house because of the coronavirus, you know, so they put their, if they're going to sell, they put it on hold. And so uh -huh. the supply is down. And uh -huh. so houses are going, the, the market has gone up, for example, in Munns Park, I was looking in Munns Park, you know, because that's one of the places that you're supposed to be safe, part of the mission thing, right? You're okay. going to be part of the mission. You're going to build a center for the U.S. That's part of that's part of the area. Those houses are most of them are going under contract within a few days uh. of being put on the market, and and that's just Wyoming, and there's hardly anything on the market, and. Laramie, Wyoming, of all places, that's, you know, it's a college town, but it's kind of run down. And the, you can't hardly get a house there. If it's in the, you know, two to $400,000 range, they're being snapped up as fast as they go <laughs> on the market. Wow. So I, when I saw that happening, I said, well, what's this? What's going on? And so I started looking at some of the real estate experts quote unquote. And there's, they were saying, yeah, the, there's a max mass exodus from the cities because of this. Mm. Huh? Yeah. Oh, that's something to think about. Yes. Yeah. I kind of went the other direction. I went from the country to the city. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a little different here anyway. Right. Of, of course. And yeah. Um, so anyway, well, and that has to do with your job too, you know, I'm sure. Yes. The type absolutely. of job. Well, they're doing like, you know, um, Larimer County is, is doing distance learning. I mean, you know, the kids aren't going back to, into the classroom here because they, they That's, understand. It's another it's not, crazy thing about the States is they're, they're putting everybody back in school and what are kids going to do? They're going to infect each other. And now yes. you're seeing all these reports on, on the media, you know, yeah, mass infections. And, Yes. 
So, yeah. yeah. So Larimer wisely decided to keep the kids at home, yet they're having, there's still sports going on, which shows you our values mm -hmm. here, you know. And, yeah. but yet right in the county next to us in Greeley, in uh, Weld County, they're more of a, you know, a red, as you want because, you know, they politicize this whole thing, which is ridiculous. Um, uh. They sent their kids back to school. So we'll get to see, and, and there's a small town here called Windsor. It's actually where I used to have my business and 14 kids within the first week tested positive for the virus. And it's a small town. It's really small. <clears throat> it's like, you know, main street USA kind of a town, you know, uh -huh. little yeah. bitty mom and pop stores and not, not much in the way of big box type of things. So blank and you'll miss it. <laughs> yeah, it, exactly. And, uh, yeah. yeah, they already have 14 infections. So, or they, I mean, they probably have more. That was just last I heard. Uh huh. So very different here than where you're at. Yeah. I haven't been back there for a long time. And how, this how is the long? <laughs> uh, like 20 years. Yeah. That's a long time, Ken. Yeah. It, I'm sure you would find it very changed. All righty. And uh, you have a great evening. You're probably going to be going to bed soon. And yep. I have to start my day because that's the time uh, difference here. <laughs> uh, I'm going to go okay, harvest well, grapes. <laughs> the man from the future wishes you the best of luck. Thank you. And you know, in your in your endeavors. And I think you're just doing a great job. And I love watching your, what you do and listening to your show. And I like oh. helping you out. And I appreciate you. everything you've done, you know. Yeah. I, I, oh, it, it, no, thanks, Neve, but thank you. And I appreciate your help, you know, mm. that you're trying to help me, even though I'm dragging my feet, get my video, my my audio <laughs> up on YouTube. <laughs> I know uh, it'll I'm happen. Not the great, I'm not the greatest about promoting myself either because it takes time. Uh, and sure. uh, you have to actually yeah. sit down and do it. And then there are times I feel really shy and think, I don't know what to say. I don't. Nothing's coming to mind about this, about my show. I just kind of put it up there. And so that's kind of how it is sometimes. But, you know, it is what it is. I'm not. Well, we're never going to run out of things to say here. I'll tell you that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. No. <laughs> so, okay. So you um, have a good night. All right. Bye, All right. And uh, nice talking to you, Carol. You too. Salome. Salome. Thank you for listening to tonight's podcast. Some of the music provided on this program was recorded by Ken Moran. Until next time, Salome.